Okay, good morning, Real Life Church. You can stop being friendly now, okay? My name is Melanie. If we've not met before, I'm part of the leadership here. Um, I'm married to Stuart Crane, and we have two lovely, slightly wild boys called Levi and Asher, who are a delight and a blessing and hard work all at the same time. Um, I spend most of my week looking after my kids and looking after my home and doing those kind of things, shopping, you know, all the, all the highly interesting stuff. And I spend some of my week working on real-life kids and some of my week looking at evangelistic stuff like Alphas, like um, events that we do, like Christmas, um, I tend to go to Costa in Baldmere and have a couple of hours on a Monday where I just get focused in on what it is I'm supposed to be doing. Um, that is my office. It's the best office ever. Serve the best cakes and hot chocolate and really nice relaxed environment. Um, and there are no children yelling at me, Mummy, I need this, Mummy, I need that. So it's great. We've been here, I think, for four years now. Um, and... Yeah, four years. So Levi was eight months old when we came here. So um, we would definitely call this place our home and feel more at home here than probably we've ever felt anywhere. And I think there's something about when you're doing what God has asked you to do, that in your heart you can feel at home very quickly somewhere because you belong, because God says you belong. So it's a, it's a different kind of feeling than, you know, my house looks how I want it, or it's actually in my heart, I'm settled, I know I'm where I should be. Um, this morning I'm going to be speaking to you out of the book of Revelation, and I, I don't know how you feel about the book of Revelation, I think it has a, a kind of mixed uh, review amongst Christians. Some people love it and they're like, oh, it's so amazing. Other people are like, it's so confusing or it's so weird or it's just so out there. I just love it. I think it appeals to my kind of fantasy, fairy tale type of imagination. Uh, I love how Jesus is portrayed. I, I love all the kind of battle scenes and you know, I, just, I just love it all. I think it's amazing. I will say, just as a little word of warning, you're not supposed to read the book and take everything literally. So even what I'm going to read right now, you're not supposed to read and go, oh, that's exactly what's going to happen. That's exactly how it's going to play out. Loads of it is pictorial or po poetic or it's a vision. And so it, it's to be taken as truth and it's to be taken as uh, the word of God, but it's not to be taken literally as in, I will literally see someone with 12 heads and 12 eyes, and you may do, but it's to be taken as something that God is trying to communicate to us about heart and vision and what it looks like and feels like. So you get into it as in you want to feel it and, and put yourself there really and, and look around and think, what, what John saw I want to see and I want to be stirred by that. I'm going to read from Revelation 14, and it's the vision of the 144,000, which is why I put the little caveat in there of, I don't literally think there'll be 144,000, and the rest of us have got to work our socks off to maybe clean the floor of the 144,000. I don't really think that's what it's going to look like. I think it's trying to portray something. Um, of what it's like in the new heaven and the new earth. So Revelation 1, 2, uh, 
1 to 5. I'm just going to read that little chunk there. It says, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him the 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of a loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of a harpist playing on their harps, and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who'd been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as the first fruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. I'm reading the book of Revelation in my own time with God, so I, I try and make sure that on a daily basis... God and I get a little bit of time together. So it might be God and I while I'm having breakfast. This morning it was God and I having breakfast with Asher, trying to help me draw in my journal and Levi asking me like 20 questions. So it was God and I plus, you know, the, the wildness that is two little boys trying to help me have my time with God. Sometimes it's God and I in Costa, sometimes God and I in the bath, sometimes it's God and I out on a walk, but I try and make sure in my daily life that I'm having a little bit of time with God. And I read my Bible, and the way that I read it is I, I like to go on a kind of an investigation. So I'll take a book, and I'll take a question. So in Revelation at the moment, I'm asking the question, what is Jesus like in John's vision of Revelation? What is he like? What does he look like? What does he sound like? What does he do? And so I take a page like this, stick it in my Bible, and I just make notes on every chapter. And I probably only read a chapter in my time, so it doesn't take me forever, it takes me about 10 minutes, because right now, my life as it stands, that's what I've got, and I, and I know God well enough to know that what I've got, he'll have, and so I, I, 10 minutes, sit down, read, jot down a few notes, and then I just think about it during the day, just think about, man, that vision of Jesus and that. When I was reading this little chunk, I was in Costa, and the line jumped out to me of, they followed the lamb wherever he goes. And I thought to myself, what would my life look like if I really applied that? If I just followed the lamb wherever he went? If I went where he went, if I did what he did, if I acted like him all the time, what would my life look like? And it got me kind of thinking, it got me kind of stirred about being a person who follows the lamb wherever he goes. So I asked myself two questions. I said, who is the lamb and where does he go? And that's really what I want to talk to us about this morning. So in the book of Revelation, who is the lamb and where does he go? And I want to challenge us as real life church to be people who can visualize the lamb, who know what Jesus is like, who knows the kind of things he says, the kind of things he does, the kind of man he is, the kind of person he is, the kind of God he is, and then follows him wherever he goes. Whatever he does, whatever he has a heart for, whatever he is interested in, we get ourselves right behind it. And we get our heart behind it, we get our hands behind it, and we get our head behind it. We just say, actually, he's got a heart for the lost and the broken, so have I. Don't pray about it. We don't go, oh, let me see if I can find any scripture to back that up. Let me invite the wisdom of other people. We say, he has a heart for that, so do I. He likes to go there, so do I. He loves to worship, so do I. Who cares that my voice is slightly out of tune? He likes worship, so do I. He likes the broken, so do I. He likes the poor, so do I. He likes diversity, so do I. 
He likes the downtrodden, so do I. He likes getting in amongst the kind of the gritty issues of the time, so do I. I want us to be that kind of church that just says we follow him wherever he goes. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the lamb, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about where he goes. Unashamedly, I want to inspire you to love Jesus more this morning. If you left here and you said, do you know what, I just feel like I love Jesus more, I would consider that job done, really. If our worship time helps you go deeper into Jesus, I would consider that job done. It's nice that we've got good pastries and good coffee, and it's nice that that we've got the place laid out nicely. Most of all, we want you to encounter Jesus. And the reason we've done all this is to get all those things out the way so that you can just get straight in there. So that you're not sitting there with manky, horrible tea or coffee and thinking, ooh, that you're actually, we've cleared the path. We've gone, actually, let's move those obstacles out of the way so you can just go straight in and meet the one that we most love. So this is what... Revelation says about the lamb, and this won't be everything. Some of you are smarter than me, and you're going to sit there thinking, well, I think it also says this and this. Please don't form a cue at the end to tell me that, all right? I know there's more, which is, this is what I got out of it. This is what I took out of it. So he is the firstborn. Uh, Repeatedly throughout Revelation, it describes him. He was and is and is to come. And it just basically, he always existed, but he was also born. It, I love God. He just says the most wild things that you think, that they don't even go together. Well, yes, they do in the kingdom of God. I just love it. He was the lamb who was slain. And throughout the Bible, you see this image of the lamb over and over and over and over again. And next week out in kids, we're looking at the lamb that you know, was sacrificed and slain in place of, well, it was a ram, but in place of Isaac and how throughout the Old Testament there's this image of a lamb laying down its life in place of us and how eventually you get to the New Testament and you have the actual lamb of God laying down his life in place of us. He is worthy. This is called out over and over again. If you run out of something to say in worship or in a prayer meeting, just repeat worthy, 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 worthy until your heart catches up. Sometimes our head, we just need to just, it's why in Revelation they're like holy, holy, holy. It's not because they think they might forget or something. They're just, they're just over and over again repeating. This is who he is. This is what he's like. He died for us, which in the book of Revelation says that he removes our sin, he frees us, and he redeems us. So we're no longer slaves, we're no longer trapped, we're free. It's, it's like, to be a Christian is like the most amazing thing to be. It means to be redeemed, it means to be set free, it means that the punishment that was mine, I will never face because Jesus Christ faced it in my place for me. It's amazing to meet a bunch of people that, that are like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, oh yeah, I do love to, oh yeah, I read my Bible. That to me just seems outrageous. We should be the most set free people on the earth because we know Jesus because we are accompanied by him, because he stands with us and in us and goes before us. Like, it doesn't mean that we run around like with a grin slapped on our face. That's called fake. It means that we're real and we're honest and we're upfront, but there is something deep within us that knows we're saved, that no matter what life throws at us, and it can get really dark, 
that we are saved, that we're the redeemed, that there's something in us that just holds firm because that's who we are, because that's who we've been saved by. The book of Revelation says he loves us, which is, you know, it's a very simple phrase, but it repeats it quite a few times. You are loved. You could never say of yourself that I am not loved. So even if you're sitting here and you're single and you're thinking, I don't know if I have that special person yet. I don't know if I've met them yet. I don't know if I ever will or if that's what I even want. You have that special person. If you're born again, you have that special person who will love you full stop the end. To be loved is, is one of the most empowering, amazing things. You have that in Jesus. And he is more than enough. And whatever we, relationships we build on earth are, are simply a poor reflection of something that is far greater, far more amazing, and will never let you down. You're loved. If I was ever to have a tattoo, I would have, I am loved. Because I, I, it's the kind of thing that I want to remember and... I don't have one, not for any, like, I don't have a problem with them. I'm a wuss. Uh, and, I, and I know that sounds weird when I've had two babies and one was massive, but I am a wuss. Um, uh, I'm a wuss, a total wuss. So, he purchases us for God, which sometimes you read that and think, I don't know how I feel about it. We are purchased, bought back from something. We no longer belong to another. We are purchased for him. Like, it's amazing. Salvation belongs to him. So there is nobody else where you can get salvation from. And the world will offer up so many options of where you can find salvation. And it's rubbish. You find salvation in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And I know that is not necessarily very PC. Um, I, I don't think Jesus was very PC or is very PC. I think it's truth, and I think it's something that, that people need to hear, and we need to wrap it up in love, but we never need to dilute the truth. And we do people a disservice by diluting that. It describes what he wears. So it says he wears a long robe, a golden sash. He holds a sharp, double-edged sword. He has eyes like fire and feet like bronze. He wears a golden crown, then he holds a sickle. So a sword in one hand, a sickle in the other. So for people who just kind of have this image of Jesus as meek and mild and a little bit uh, of a girly man, that's just not what he is like. He's like a warrior, who relates well with kids and women and, you know, just, he's a warrior man, a sickle in one hand that he reaps the world with and a sword in the other that basically is a double-edged sword, so it pierces even the hardest of hearts. Written across his thigh, so obviously Jesus doesn't have a problem with tattoos, so written across his thigh um, is the word King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Songs are sung about him. It's why we sing, because something of heaven is seen on the earth. It's why we sing. It's why we worship. It's not because necessarily all of us love to sing. It's because he loves our songs. It's because worship is about singing. It's because heaven is full of a noise that is just incredible. You get this feeling in the book of Revelation that it's just this crazy noise of, of singing, of shouting, of, of bowing down, of like just amazing noise. 
The angels sing, the elders sing, the living creatures. I don't even know what they are, but they sound wild. The living creatures and the redeemed are all singing to this man, are all laying down their worship. So we won't ever give up singing here because it's what we're going to do for eternity. And you might sit there thinking, oh my gosh, seriously? I tell you what, when the lamb is physically in the room, I I don't know what else there would be to do other than worship him. He reigns forever. He speaks, he asks, he knocks, and he warns. So this is someone, he is human in every kind of way. And he's physically present, so he's, he's speaking out things, he's talking to people, he's eating with people. He loves his church and she is his bride. So for those of you who've been married, the point where um, the husband turns around to look at his bride is such a magical moment, to be honest. It's like, you, I, I felt at Anna and Joe's wedding a little bit like you almost feel like you're um, interrupting this really sacred moment when, when the groom sees his bride and, and, and all that that means. And see, Jesus looks at the church like that. She is his love. She is his bride. She will be beautiful. He doesn't look at it and see decline and failing and rubbish. He sees this thing that is just what his heart so desires and wants and longs for. He has a city. He has a throne. He loves his father and honors him and obeys him. Even in his death, lays down his life because that's what he's asked to do. His names are Son of God, Son of Man, Jesus the Lamb, Christ, the Lord, the Lion of Judah, the Root of David. It's interesting even just to do a study through Revelation on his names and what they actually mean. He's a shepherd, he's the king, he's the ruler, he's the Alpha and the Omega, he's the bridegroom, he's called Just and Holy One, he's called King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Faithful and True, he's called the Word of God, so everything that's written about him is, is caught up in him, he's, he's living and active, the Word of God, he's the first and the last, the beginning and the end, right at the end of Revelation they call him the bright morning star, he's basically awesome, like who he is is just mind-blowing. He holds the book of life. It says in Revelation that he's worthy to open the scroll and the seals. Like they, they look around trying to find someone and he's the only one who's worthy to open the scroll and open the seals. He knows every name in that book. I imagine when he died on the cross that he could imagine God and what it meant for him to have all his people back and not only just see them as a people but see them by name know them by name understand that present and past people were redeemed and caught up amazing he defeats satan the beast the false prophet the great prostitute babylon and the dragon it's like some kind of lord of the rings type of thing revelation it's just like it's mystical it's just amazing 
That's the lamb. If you feel like in this room, I don't know the lamb well enough, or I, he doesn't warm my heart, it isn't something that I get excited about, can I encourage you to take a little journey in Revelation and to make notes on who the lamb is? Can I encourage you that if any area of your spiritual life looks tired, like you say things like, I find reading my Bible really boring, I will happily sit down and watch a box set on TV for three hours, but I find reading my Bible really boring. I will happily sit on the internet on Facebook for an hour, but I find reading my Bible really boring. If you find reaching out to lost people really hard work, if you actually, if you find life as a Christian really hard work, can I encourage you not to go on any courses, not to read any books about evangelism, about reading your Bible, about whatever, whatever. Can I encourage you to come back to Jesus? And actually set yourself a little task of finding out more about him. Can I encourage you to get around people that are so consumed by him and so love him? Can I encourage you that if on a Sunday morning you have just become critical and you're sitting there going, well, I don't like this and I don't like that and I don't like the other, get back to Jesus. If there's, in, if there's room in your heart for doubt, discouragement, annoyance, get back to Jesus. Just get your eyes right back on him. Get focused on him. Remind yourself of your own salvation, of what he's done. The book of Revelation is super for that. It really just gives you this like incredible vision of a man who is God. If you don't like reading, get the Bible on CD or download it or go on iTunes. They have the Bible experience. It's fantastic. And you can just buy a book at a time. They're like $2.99. Download it and have someone read it to you. When I, like at various points in my life, being a mummy, I've, I've found reading just quite tiring. And so having someone read it to me has just been lovely. So at various points, I would just listen to it on my iPhone or at home on my laptop and just let someone else do a little bit of the hard work for me. And not even bother taking notes, just let it soak in. Just, you know, sometimes I would fall asleep to it, to be fair. <laughs> Wake up and go, whoa, okay, I've got Samuel Jackson reading the voice of God in my head. So uh, the Bible experiences are great. It's a really great um, audio Bible, to be honest. So get something like that and have someone read it to you. Next, so that's the lamb. If you're struggling, get focused on Jesus. If you're not a Christian in the room, for goodness sake, get saved. It, like your life truly gets to be anchored in something, gets to be solid, gets to be set and, and it isn't that any of the time so far is wasted because God wastes nothing. But there's something about giving your life to Jesus that just gives you a point in life where you can say, okay, from this point on, this is where I'm going, this is what I'm doing. It, it somehow orders you. It somehow, it sorts you out really inside out and it is well worth doing. I cannot promise you that your life will be easy, but it's much easier doing it with Jesus than it is doing it on your own. So if you want to get saved, you don't even need to wait to go on Alpha. You can give your life to Jesus this morning right now. If that's you and you want to, just chat to me at the end. I'd be happy. Uh, where does he go? So these are the places that Jesus goes. This is also a really nice study to do through your Gospels. So take Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and take a piece of paper and write down, whiz through it quickly. So don't like really study it, just whiz through it and write down the type of people and the type of places that Jesus goes to. It's really interesting because I think sometimes when you compare it to church, it's a little bit off. 
So have a little look and think to yourself, where did he go? Who did he spend time with? What did he do? It's, I've done it a few times. It's a great study and a great reminder of what we're supposed to do. So he goes to lost people. So basically anybody who needs a saviour, he goes. And you don't really see him discerning between, oh, you are in more in need or less in need. He goes to lost people. He goes to hurt people. So often those who are on the outskirts of society... And, uh, you know, I think sometimes they're some of the places that we shy away from. And I think they're the first places that he went. He goes to young and old. So you go through the Bible and, and like, Jesus is brilliant with kids and brilliant with older people. He, do, he, goes, he goes wherever there are people and he doesn't seem to discriminate against their age. So sometimes you see him talking with rulers and authorities and sometimes you see him talking with children. It doesn't really appear that he seems to alter much, which is great if you're young really because you get to encounter Jesus and get to walk with him knowing that he doesn't look down on you at all because you're young knowing that he doesn't discriminate, he doesn't think to himself, ah, well, because you're young, I'll, I'll cut you a little bit of slack. He, his expectation is, is that you will follow him and love him. Uh, it's brilliant. I, I so want my boys to know Jesus young. I want them to have one of those stories that just said, I just grew up knowing God and I had an encounter with him at four or eight or whatever, and, and I've walked with him ever since. I, I so want them to have that. He goes to rich and poor, and often the extremes of society, so often the uber-rich and the uber-poor, goes, goes to the extremes of society, men and women, making no distinction. Thinking actually, in his time, it would have been outrageous, some of the things and some of the conversations and some of the ways that he dealt with women, but he goes there. He goes into workplaces. So you see, when he calls his first disciples, they're all busy working, which, you know, he just walks in and says, I have you, I have you, I have you, and they get up and follow. So he doesn't really see workplaces as doors that he can't get beyond. Oh, my workplace wouldn't allow me to talk. He doesn't really see that. He doesn't really see doors that are closed to him or areas that are closed to him or environments that are closed to him. He doesn't really think, oh, you're a teacher. You wouldn't really be able to talk about me. He goes in. And he works and he calls people out of things that they are busy doing and says, actually, it's all about me. He goes wherever there are people. So like you see him walking into crowds, walking into cities, walking into the, the hillside where, where loads of people are gathered, into the temples. It goes where the people are, into places of worship and probably places of worship that didn't really want him there. Upturning tables, shouting, you know, just saying, what are you guys up to? He goes to the sick. He goes to the sick and makes them well, but he goes to the sick. Into issues of the time. So he didn't shy away from divorce, marriage, money, sexuality. He didn't shy away from any of the issues. He just walked straight in. If you read through most of the Gospels, there's teachings or encounters, adultery, things that he just stepped straight in and either spoke into it or did something about it that changed it. And you read story after story where you think, man, like the woman with the issue of blood where literally her, all her issues are dealt with. 
He just transforms things that have managed to make people cut off or outside or separate, just changes it. And it doesn't seem to be afraid to touch those kind of issues. Lepers doesn't seem to be afraid to reach in. Marriage doesn't seem to be afraid to talk about sexuality. And I'm fairly sure because he's God, he'll have done it well, but actually he still spoke into it. I think sometimes we fear some of these areas because we don't want to get it wrong. And I think what we need is a little bit more courage and a little bit more of the lamb, really, and a little bit more of following him wherever he goes. I like to kind of ask the question, if Jesus was brought into this place here, where would he go first? And I suspect most of the places he'd go first are the places we go last. I know for me personally, they, they are some of the places I would go last. He goes into human hearts, so just steps straight in. Um, he goes into the deep, deepest, darkest parts of people where they feel shame, where they feel despair, where he's unafraid to go deep and unafraid to, to touch things that people would really probably rather not have exposed or brought to the surface, he will go straight down. So the woman at the well, you know, he's un, unafraid, he goes after. Actually, you have yourself five husbands. He goes near the things other people might go, well, maybe we won't say something about that. We'll just uh, turn the other cheek and carry on. He, he goes deep. He goes after leaders and rulers and authorities and actually communicates to them that it isn't enough that in the world they have status, in the world they have position. The religious goes after. He goes into families. Uh, the place, I think, sometimes in middle-class land, families can become almost our idol and our castle, and they can be the thing where we, we, we get in home and we shut up shop and nobody can speak into this unit and nobody can come near this unit and heaven forbid anyone would speak to me about my parenting or, you know, it's like it, it can become a, a real sacred ground that no one's allowed to touch. Jesus steps straight in to families, steps straight into people's lives. And it's, Again, you know, it must be an interesting thing to do, but, but I think if we're to follow the Lamb wherever he goes, parenting, marriage, family, they've got to be some of the places that we speak into, that we bring direction, which is hard sometimes, because I know Stuart asked me and Phil once to speak on parenting, really, being mums, and I literally just said, oh my gosh, like, how am I going to, with all integrity, stand up and tell anybody else how to raise their kids when I'm still trying to work it out? And I, you know, often weeks look like I don't have it worked out. But they're the areas where Jesus was unafraid and went into. He goes to the hungry. He goes to those in need of forgiveness. He goes down low and does the tough stuff. Stuart preached a couple of weeks ago on the foot washing thing. Goes down low and does the, the tough, serving, menial stuff. He goes to those, I've said that already, haven't I? He goes to the cross and to the grave. So he goes to places that are just so hard. Like if you think your life is hard, you maybe want to take a little look at Jesus and look at what he had to go through, look at what he had to sacrifice, and maybe draw on that. He went to the grave and then emptied the grave. And he goes basically everywhere and anywhere. 
into people's hearts, homes, families, schools, workplaces, wherever. There's, there's no place really that Jesus can't affect touch. Stuart was telling me recently that there's been a, a church planted out in a, in a place I won't mention because this will go on the website, but actually a whole group of Muslim men um, had themselves on the same night, about six of them had a dream and in their dream they encountered Jesus and in their dream he called them to follow him. And so they woke up, gathered their families together, took them to church and their themselves and their entire families were converted and they just started a church in a heavily Muslim country. See, that's where God goes. He goes places that even we think would be impossible, that, that, that we wouldn't even dream of actually touching down and walking out into that environment and being brave. God goes in someone's sleep and says, I'll, I'll have you now. And actually what God did in that one saving of six men and their families is he established a church. So they had a, there was a couple out there who'd gone out there to see what God wanted to do. They now lead this entire group of their families now in a church. So I, I'm pretty sure God just thought, I want a church there. Okay, let's go. Six families, that'll do. That'll start you off. It's amazing what God can do. And I think our job in real life church is to really catch up, is to really get hold of him, really have him capture our hearts, our minds, really have him hold us and then walk with him. And it sounds really simple and I feel like whenever I get up to preach, I just think, oh my gosh, this surely is so simple. If we get a hold of Jesus and he gets a hold of us and we follow him, we'll do okay here. We'll have a thriving church. We'll see people saved. We'll see people healed. So at the moment, we have lots of new people. If you look around, there will be people that you don't know that well. There will be some people who you don't know their names. If I look around, I think actually where the lamb is going at the moment is he is growing us. So we have to get our hearts, our heads, and our hands behind that. We have to start having people around for dinner, learning people's names. We have to do things that slightly inconvenience my family life or my, my downtime or my whatever. We have to start opening up our homes. We have to start being more sociable. We have to maybe not sit in the same seat. I know this is rich coming from me because I sit in that seat every week. But we maybe have to not sit, only because no one else really wants to. Um, we have to maybe give up our seats. We have to maybe step outside of our comfort zone. We have got lots of kids. Last week out in Kids Work, they had 36 children. Actually, in the building, we had 42, if you included babies and children. That's, that's outrageous. We have to catch up with our hearts, our hands, and our heads. So if I'm honest, I don't care if you have a big heart for kids' work. Our kids' work is growing. If we're born again and we love Jesus, we have to get behind what he's doing. What he's doing right now is there are a lot of kids. And so some of you are just going to have to say, do you know what, Jesus? I'll get my heart, I'll get my head, I'll get my hands behind you, and I'll put myself on a rotor out there. It isn't something that I feel necessarily I'm the most geared up or the most amazing kids worker in the world. In fact, I'm probably going to be quite lame. However, I want to get behind what you're doing, so I'm going I'm to do that. We've got some young people, haven't we, Joel? Haven't we, Caitlin? Haven't we, Damalola? 
We've got some young people. Man, when we planted this church, we prayed for teenagers. You guys are the answer to our prayers. Thank you for being young. <laughs> Not that you have any choice in it whatsoever. We have some young people. We're going to need a youth work, a youth team. We're going to go to New Day. Like, Massive youth camp, camping. It's just going to be amazing. We have to get our hearts, our heads, and our hands behind what the lamb is doing. If the lamb gives you teenagers, if the lamb is opening doors, you have to go, okay, okay, what do I do then? How do I help? Where do I put my money? Where do I put my time? Where do I put my talents? How do I help make this work? We've got so many schools represented in this room. So many opportunities for the lamb to be at work. We've got so many workplaces. You represent loads and loads of workplaces in this room. So many environments that Jesus want to be at work in. We've got Alpha. And I know that Alpha is a brilliant opportunity to see people saved, to see people go on a journey. I, I get really excited about it. We've got Costa. That, that Costa evenings ought to be packed with people that we're just bringing along and saying, come and get to know us a little bit better. Come and get to know our church, our people, a little bit better. We've got the food bank. I want us over and over again to be just blessing those people. I've asked Stuart and um, we'll chat to the leaders about it, but I'd love us to consider giving them a Christmas offering. Just a whole heap of money that we can say, just bless a load of people. If you know families who've got no toys for Christmas or not enough money, give it to them. I'd love us to be that kind of a place. I think it's something that the Lamb is doing. And we've got Christmas coming up. And God, uh, for all the commercial side of Christmas, there are amazing opportunities for church at Christmas time to invite people in who will maybe only come to church Christmas time or funerals or weddings. It's an amazing opportunity that I want us to make the absolute most of. So that's it, Real Life Church. That's all I want to say to you this morning is I want you to have a vision of the Lamb that blows you away. If you don't have it yet, get one. If you need some help with it, I would happily help, but I know there are other people. Just go up to them and say, do you love Jesus more than me? If they say yes, spend some time with them. <laughs> I, would, I would probably say yes. So you could ask me. There are plenty of people who have a relationship with Jesus that has utterly wrecked them. Uh, Ted and Di were in our group on um, Wednesday evening just sharing a little bit of their story and I, I just said to Stuart afterwards, man those guys just love Jesus and, and there's something really refreshing about seeing someone who's been doing it longer than you still loving Jesus. It's brilliant. Get yourself around people who've known him a while and still live with it and still love him. It's, it's just lovely. And then go wherever he goes. I, I would say sometimes in, in our kind of churches, we limit ourselves too much. We say, oh, no, no, I don't think they're quite ready for that. I don't think they're quite ready for this. I think the question we need to be asking is, is God big enough and can he do it? If the answer is yes, then we just need to man up, really, and not be such chickens. And I say that to myself as well. So, Dave, I'm going to invite you up. Uh, who else? Who else wants to come? No. Um, and you're going to lead us into a bit of worship. Why don't you stand? We're going to worship the Lamb. We're going to honour him. If you want to chat to me at the end, please do. If you want to chat to anybody else who's a group leader or one of the leaders here in church or just your friend, please do.